Attention friends, the episode you're about to hear was created prior to the enactment of the Well-Ordered Society Act. It is maintained here as a record, an archive, and a legacy of the wandering aimlessness that preceded our current predicament. It represents one step of many on the evolutionary journey from inherited defaults to holy, blessed, righteous surrender in the service of play. Enjoy. Another one got caught today. It's all over the papers. Teenager arrested in computer crime scandal. Hacker arrested after bank tampering. Damn kids, they're all alike. But did you, in your three-piece psychology and 1950s techno brain, ever take a look behind the eyes of the hacker? Did you ever wonder what made him tick? What forces shaped him? What may have molded him? I am a hacker. Enter my world. Mine is a world that begins with school. I'm smarter than most of the other kids. This crap they teach us bores me. Damn underachiever, they're all alike. I'm in junior high or high school. I've listened to teachers explain for the 15th time how to reduce a fraction. I understand it. No, Mrs. Smith, I didn't show my work. I did it in my head. Damn kid, probably copied it. They're all alike. I made a discovery today. I found a computer. Wait a second, this is cool. It does what I want it to. If it makes a mistake, it's because I screwed it up. Not because it doesn't like me, or feels threatened by me, or thinks I'm a smartass, or doesn't like teaching and shouldn't be here. Damn kid, all he does is play games. They're all alike. And then it happened. A door opened to a world, rushing through the phone line like heroin through an addict's veins. An electronic pulse is sent out. A refuge from the day-to-day incompetencies is sought. A board is found. This is it. This is where I belong. I know everyone here. Even if I've never met them, never talked to them, may never hear from them again. I know you all. Damn kid, tying up the phone line again. They're all alike. You bet your ass we're all alike. We've been spoon-fed baby food at school when we hungered for steak. The bits of meat that you did let slip through were pre-chewed and tasteless. We've been dominated by sadists or ignored by the apathetic. The few that had something to teach found us willing pupils, but those few are like drops of water in the desert. This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bod. We make use of a service already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons, and you call us criminals. We explore, and you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge, and you call us criminals. We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us, and try to make us believe it's for our own good. Yet we're the criminals? Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not what they look like. My crime is that of outsmarting you something that you will never forgive me for. I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. This is a pretty special episode. Um, Before I get started, I just want to say 
Hola a mis amigos en los países hispanohablantes. Um, I've noticed that I have a fair number of Spanish listeners. So shout out to you all and uh, gracias para escucharme. This is a special episode because it's actually the first episode where I recorded it and then I went to edit it and then I decided to re-record it, um, which is pretty rare. I don't, so up to this point, um, we've done three episodes and I've never felt the need to re-record them. But there was a lot in the first episode I recorded. There was a lot of content I tried to pack into that one. Um, ended up going for an hour and a half. And basically, um, it was too much. Uh, I want to be, be careful with this and I want to be peaceful with it. And, and again, I, wanna, I really want to make sure that whatever I'm doing in this is, is um, truly appreciative of the things we're expressing gratitude for. And when I bounce around too much, then you know, I don't know that I, I don't feel like I got deep enough into any particular topic to give it the gratitude it's due. So here we are, uh, round two of recording it. I'm going to kind of cover the same general topic, but all of the different things I hit in the, the one I originally recorded, I'm just going to break up into different episodes. So that's what makes this special. Um, episode four, and we're finally having to do a re-record. Um, I did save the audio from that. There's bits and pieces of that I might use in other episodes. Um, I really want to, uh, just as a, I guess, um, tangent to kind of give you some insight behind the scenes. Um, I'm trying to get better about just creating snippets of audio that I can like craft together into a full podcast episode so that I don't have to burden myself with the feeling of having to record a full episode, but I can just have these snippets I record here and there as I go about my, my day and my week. Um, and then I can kind of stitch it all together into an episode. This is a, this is a learning process. This is a, uh, a, a creative endeavor in, uh, it's something that I'm, I'm learning from. So, um, Thank you all for uh, bearing with me on that. This episode, I want to talk about technology. I have mentioned it in every episode that I've done so far, my interest in technology. Um, if you were to say, you know, what, do we, what, what does Laughing Man want? What does he enjoy? Um, I kind of go back to, you know, sort of the three, the triangle of technology, music, um, and then consuming ideas, reading a lot, um, listening to audiobooks and podcasts. Um, I want to focus on that first one in the triangle technology a bit. And I started this episode with the hacker manifesto because I'm a hacker. So um, I just wanted to give you all a bit of background on why I am the technologist I am today. Um, what, what led me to this point. And, and frankly, just to express gratitude to all of the different stages that helped me to be where I am as a uh, professional hacker and, and whatnot and, and kind of the um, honestly immense gratitude I have for the path that I was, I was sort of born onto um, and then shepherded along by my parents and, and the world around me as I grew up. So, you know, why, why do I call myself a hacker, right? Um, well, I think it's important to start with like, what is a hacker? Uh, and the Hacker Manifesto puts it perfectly. I think it captures the sentiment very well, which is, and I, I the, the manifesto, I suppose, has a bit of resentment as a part of the sentiment, but that's, that's not the hacker sentiment. The hacker sentiment isn't necessarily to be resentful, um, although many hackers end up being resentful of, of society, but it's curiosity. The, the description of this podcast, if you were to go to the website, which, by the way, is justhere.club, in case you forgot um, or don't know that, a gratitude-laden podcast focused on our creativity, our curiosity, and our sense of community. I really want this to be 
a, you know, force out there for gratitude or those things. Um, and curiosity is the linchpin of the hacker mindset. If you were to talk to anyone that considers themselves a hacker or even people who wouldn't use that word and you were to ask them how they ended up where they were or how they got started, I mean, it's probably not 100%, but pretty much uh, anecdotally everyone I've talked to at least, it always starts with some childlike curiosity combined with the freedom and openness to explore that curiosity. So in my own life, that's definitely the case. When I was really young, um, both of my parents are fairly tech tech savvy. Um, they're both in their sixties now, but they, they're both tech savvy. And I kind of, I got a lot of what I know about technology from them on, on the dad side of, of my, my family. Um, my dad, you know, he built computers when I was younger. Uh, he was a programmer. He's always worked kind of in the technical world. Uh, and so I got to see a lot of him doing that stuff. Um, and then with my mom, my mom is just, you know, this brilliant, um, math savvy tech savvy woman who just you know she's she's someone who i think is the adult manifestation of someone who pursues their curiosity and and you know doesn't really constrain herself despite you know the pressures and whatnot that life might impose on upon her and i i was fortunate enough to see both of them in various stages of that in some of the the low points of my childhood where you know there was a period of time of i don't know how long it lasted but i do recall a period of time where things weren't so great. Uh, both my parents, um, weren't working. My dad had gotten laid off and, and my mom wasn't in like a full-time stable gig. And so there's, there's a lot of fun that comes with, uh, the struggles of a young family and not significant income that I got to see. Um, but I also, you know, um, I also got to see that they didn't let that phase them, or at least they didn't let it phasing them show through to us as their children. And so, that's that's the beginning of my journey is I have these two tech savvy parents and because of that you know my dad had a computer I remember when my mom got a computer um I remember it had Windows 95 on it it was like the coolest thing in the world I I I vaguely remember this could be I I might be like romanticizing it but I I vaguely remember when my mom's computer showed up and it it had cuz I think maybe my dad had like some I don't know what he had on his computer we weren't allowed to use use his computer but I don't think it had like it was whatever preceded Windows 95. Um, and then, but it was like Windows 95 was like the shit because it, it was just like this graphical interface. It could do all these things. And then there were these AOL disks. I think I mentioned that on the first episode that I used to collect these AOL disks. And, you know, I would take them home and I would use them on my mom's computer. And you could access like whatever weird, not like internet, but not really the internet thing AOL had over dial up. Um, and that was like my first exposure to computers, right? seeing my mom's excitement with her computer. I knew my dad worked on his. I, I, I never, I don't recall ever being like restricted from using the computers. I mean, we didn't have like, couldn't just do whatever I wanted on my mom's computer. Cause it was hers. But you know, from time to time I could like, I don't know, I could play solitaire. I could, I could mess around with it. And then when I got to middle school, um, there was, there were two things that happened when I hit middle school. Um, one at home, I got a, I got my a computer of my own. My dad actually built a computer uh, for me. My dad used to build computers. So he built one for me and you know, I didn't have any internet, any internet on it, but it was cool. It had windows 2000, which was like the upgrade from windows 95. And you know, I'm no, if you were to meet me today, you know that I'm no windows fanboy. I, you know, I, I alternate between using Linux and, and some version of, um, Mac, Mac OS. But, um, back then windows 2000 was the shit. Um, and I remember playing around. I mean, I would go into the settings and I would just like, tweak every little thing. 
I figured out how to use the command prompt and like I was just excited because what was cool to me about the computer was the ability to like dig into it and, and figure out how it worked and then also to make it do what you wanted, you know, whether that was changing some setting in the, in the UI or using the command prompt to like run commands and make it do stuff. And then the other half of what happened around this time was in my middle school, we had a computer lab and they had this concept of like a student tech team that would help the computer lab and, and help students in there. And, you know, this is, I don't know, this had to been seventh grade. Um, and in the computer lab, they had actually uh, all Macintosh computers. Um, and I remember they had on these computers, uh, whatever the, I don't know what it was. It's like the Adobe, like Macromedia flash designer thing. Right. And so you could create like these graphical flash games, you could create animations. And there was like this, like really janky scripting language. I, I remember where you could, you know, you could use that to like control your animations. Um, so like the combination of these two things as a, you know, 12, 13 year old middle schooler really just had me like I was riding on the high of computers. I've always been someone who I, you know, I, I'm sort of like a, a hybrid between just like the cloistered in my room, Uber nerd, fucking around on a computer and someone who likes to do stuff out in the world. Like I, I played football in middle school. I played football in high school. So, you know, I'm not, I'm no stranger to like being out there and doing stuff, but man, uh, technology just has always kind of held this really deep interest for me. And then, um, so between those two things, right? Like I, I just, I found that I had this love for computers. I, I felt like they opened up this door to a whole new world and you know, there was the internet and yeah, there were like, um, I think in the computer lab, there were some kind of like contr strict controls on what you could see, but you know, that didn't matter. Right. Cause you weren't, I wasn't out here just looking for anything. Um, and then I remember in also in middle school, um, and this is after I got my own computer, I remember my dad gave me this, um, teach yourself C plus plus in 24 hours book. It was like my first ever programming book. Um, I did mention in, I think it was episode two, episode two, how on, amongst all the content I like to consume, um, one of the things I really enjoy consuming is, is computer books. Um, I'm one of the weird people out there that will sit down and read a you know, programming book or some kind of technical book. Um, I've always, I mean, pretty much since I got the C++, C++ book till now, I, I've done that. I don't know that it's like, it's not, I don't, I would say it's not anything particularly special about um, anything in technology or computers, although that's definitely a huge interest of mine. Um, it's really more just that I read a shit ton of everything. Um, and so, you know, that just finds its way into the rotation. Um, and I remember working through this and man, like in middle school, I did not have the mathematical sophistication to make programs of like significance, but boy, oh boy, like working through this book, the whole concept of like object oriented programming and classes and all these things, it just, you know, kind of blew my mind. And you know, I've never been the best programmer in the world. I, I certainly wouldn't, uh, would never make the claim that I'm one of the best programmers in the world. Uh, but I just, I felt like I could understand like, holy cow, like there's so much you can do with this. There's, there's like the possibilities are infinite. And so that kind of started me down this path of really wanting to get deeper into like the guts of computers and how they worked and how to make them do what I wanted. Um, and, uh, I remember from my childhood seeing the matrix on TV and you know, the matrix is, is kind of a story about hackers, right? Like Trinity's a hacker, Neo is a hacker. Um, and I, you know, I just, I liked the idea of like a virus. So once I had this book, I was like, Whoa, maybe I could make viruses. Maybe that's something like I could learn how to do. So, um, you know, then I, I decided to go to the internet now, now in middle school, I didn't have internet for my computer. Um, I, we did, we did have the internet in our house, but I don't think I was, yeah, my computer wasn't like allowed on the internet. Not at first anyway. So I had to do any of my internet browsing at school. 
And that's kind of where like this tech lab came in handy in middle school because I could do the research I wanted on like how to program, how to find, how to write viruses. Um, and then like coming out of middle school, going into high school, I remember I found this forum uh, and on this, you know, like a w- internet web forum where, you know, you can just make your posts or whatever. For those who may not be familiar with a forum is think like red Reddit, but like before Reddit was re- like before what Reddit is existed, you had forums, which were kind of like the same thing. And the, it, I remember finding this one, I don't remember the name of it, but it, it had a bunch of people who were talking about like computer security. I think a lot of it was focused on like hacking games, but it was just like in general, like how to, how to break, how to get it under the hood and, and how to make the computer do something other than it was designed to do. So I remember I wanted to learn how to write viruses and I figured out like I would find these like little snippets of code. Um, cause I, I didn't trust, I learned not to trust, um, binary code. And, and for those who are not, coders and not technologists um think of source code as something human readable so like a book you can you can open a book you can read a book and you can understand it um but your computer doesn't understand code that way your computer understands code as numbers you know binary digits if you're familiar you know bits if you've heard that, that term before um and so what ends up happening is when you take a compiler that's just a translation process from the human readable code and it's something the computer can execute and um, I would take these snippets, but I like never trusted the compiled code because I was like, well, I don't know what that person put in that, you know? So I take these little snippets and I like learn how to write this virus where, um, viruses may be too strong a word, but like you could, if anything you clicked on would disappear. And so the way that it worked was basically, and this is all C plus plus where you basically end up, uh, wherever the mouse is pointing, if it clicked on a window, basically there's like an interaction that happens behind the scenes. You could basically say, hey, when I have, I want to hook that whole process and I want to set this flag where um, on your computer, your operating system, basically, when you think about like when you minimize a window or you maximize a window and you can either show it or have it be hidden behind other windows, basically there's these flags the operating system keeps track of for hiding that stuff. So I figured out that I could like get in front of the click and then anything you clicked on, I could basically have it do the opposite. Instead of bringing it into focus, I can make it be hidden and then you couldn't bring it back in the focus without restarting the computer. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, that was kind of like my first foray into, you know, making, <laughs> making software that did funny and like hilarious things, you know, but also things that like, you know, somewhat a nuisance, um, you know, I felt cool. And then there was other stuff. Like I, I, I got really interested in learning how to like make windows drivers. Cause I thought it'd be really fun and make a key logger. And I never, I never did write one that was like super, again, I'm in middle school, high, you know, freshman year of high school. I don't have the like programmer or like computer science chops to make anything like super crazy, but you know, just, just enough to be dangerous, just enough to be annoying. Um, and then like, so that was kind of like the, the, the foray. Right. And then next, uh, thing that I kind of remember, and this is all part of this like journey of why I love computers. Right. Um, I, I'll say like, you know, again, I, I mentioned it in, in, in previous episodes, I'm super grateful to my parents for, giving me the opportunity to just explore my curiosity. Um, God bless parents out there. And from uh, a person who has uh, feels gratitude for his parents, if you're a parent, you're like, I don't know what to do with my kids. Like if they're curious little motherfuckers, just let them explore their curiosity. Don't, don't try to block that too much. Cause that's how they end up finding the stuff they're really passionate about and end up getting really good at it. Then at some point uh, I got in trouble. I don't even remember what I got in trouble for, but the punishment my parents decided to impose on me was to take the hard drive from my computer. So I mentioned before, my dad had built me a computer and rather than taking the whole computer, because I don't know, I guess that would have been inconvenient. 
I don't really know. Maybe I should ask. I should ask one day. Why did they? Why, why was the punishment to take the hard drive but leave me the rest of it? They took the hard drive. So now I've got this desktop computer and it's got everything but the hard drive. But the, the hard drive is where the operating system is. So again, for the non-technology people out there, the people who are not programmers, um, your operating system, when you are interacting with your computer or your smartphone, what you're interacting with is the user interface of an operating system. And the operating system is installed on the hard drive. So on a phone, there's a hard drive. On a regular computer, there's a hard drive. On all kinds of computers, you have some kind of um, what we call like persistent memory, I guess. Memory is not the right word, but like storage. And that's where your operating system sits. So if you have your computer or your phone and, and, you, and it's off and you turn it on, basically the, the hardware goes through this process where it finds the operating system wherever it happens to be stored and it loads it up. If you don't have a hard drive in the computer, it won't find it and it won't boot, right? It won't boot up the operating system. So there's like a number of things you can do. Um, back then, I think the computer I had, it would like, it would say like, um, you know, OS not found or disk not found. And then it would like pop up this, this menu that let me pick. And my options were like, you know, I didn't fully understand this at the time because all of this was sort of learning by trial and error um, and spe- throwing tons and tons of hours into just exploring this and figuring it out. Um, I was like, okay, I can boot from a CD-ROM. I'm like, huh, okay. How do I put an operating system on a CD-ROM? So, like I said, my mom is a pretty technical woman herself. She's not. She's not a programmer. You know, she's not. She certainly hasn't spent the hours of time I have into you know like becoming a hacker. But she's 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 uh, she's resourceful. She's scrappy, right? So, um, back in the day, let's say you went to a music store and you wanted to buy a CD, right? Let's say you liked uh, I don't know Earth Wind Earth Wind and Fire was a popular one for her. Um, you know, Michael Jackson was another one. Um, Luther Vandross, these are artists that she, she liked to listen to. Now, when you go to the music store, you buy their CD, you get an album, you know, it's got somewhere between like 13 and 20 tracks. If you wanted to make like a mixtape where you were basically curating a selection of songs from different artists, what you could do is you could load your CD into a computer and you could rip the songs off of it and then you could burn it to a CD. So I was familiar with that concept because that was something my mom would do. She'd make these CDs and give them as like birthday gifts. Christmas gifts either to us or to other family members. And so when I saw this, I'm like, okay, I don't have a hard drive. I've got the ability to boot from a CD-ROM. What do I, okay, how, I wanna, let's try that, right? Because I want to be able to use my computer. So I learned, I went back to school, you know, I figured out, all right, how do I burn an operating system? Um, I, I learned from this that like Windows is not at all friendly to, or it wasn't and probably still isn't friendly to like the, you know, teenage amateur trying to figure shit out so you can't just like download windows and burn it to a disc and run it as a live cd i don't think that's true now and it certainly wasn't true then um but you could do that with linux so this is kind of like you know i'm asking around forums i'm asking around I mean, I'm, I'm searching around like with ask jeeves because google is like google's a thing but it wasn't like the thing yet back then you had like yahoo and ask jeeves and like all these other weird search engines and then like Google was there too. And over time, Google obviously dominated the, the search engine market. But back then you had choices um, and you had like these weird browser toolbars with search bars in them. And so on, I remember on our school computers, it was Ask Jeeves. So I looked up, how do I burn an operating system to a disk? I discovered Linux. I remember it was like Ubuntu was like one of the ones I found. And then there was this um, other one, OpenSUSE or OpenSUSE. I don't, I don't know how it's pronounced technically. Um, in my head, I've always referred to it as OpenSUSE, but I, I've heard people refer to it as OpenSUSE, so maybe that's what it is. Um, and I kind of went back and forth between them. There were kind of like pros and cons to either one. So I learned how to burn 
Linux to a disk, and then you could run it as a live CD. So what that means for the non-technical out there is just that you can put the CD into the CD drive, and then you can boot from that, and then it'll be running off the disk. Now, the downside is um, you can't write anything back to that disk. So on your computer normally, because it's on the hard drive, and because of the way the operating system pre presents the hard drive to you, you can save files, you can save data, etc. When you're running from a CD like this, you can't do that. So that was like a big challenge, right? Because I basically had to start everything from scratch, set up all the settings from scratch every single time. And so, you know, I, I remember playing a lot with this uh, back in like 2004, 2005. This was like burning uh, or burning was easy, but running, <laughs> running Linux, figuring out how to install it. These were, none of these were easy things. What I ended up learning was that I could actually use the live disk and I can install it, install Linux on a USB drive. And then, because a USB drive, and, the, and you know, now it might seem obvious, but to 14, you know, 13, 14 year old me, I was like, holy cow, I can, the USB drive is just like a hard drive. <laughs> so I can, if I can get the Linux live CD to see the USB drive, which if I'm remembering correctly, like wasn't as simple as it is today. Now it, it just recognizes it because we've just gotten a lot better, I think, about drivers and, and whatnot and operating systems recognizing peripheral devices. But back then, it wasn't as easy as just plugging it in and everything being where it was supposed to be. But I remember learning how to like partition the USB drive and like how to use it and even how to dual boot because on the school computers, I wanted to like be able to use Linux sometimes on them. And so, but I didn't want to mess up the computer and I didn't want anybody to find out. So I learned how to make that happen, right? Hours and hours of like tinkering and <laughs> trial and error and trying to make everything work. And so that's what I was able to do without my hard drive was I was able to run Linux um, on a live CD and then I could save it to this USB drive. Um, I even played around with FreeBSD for a little bit. And what was cool about all of this, right, is, you know, again, obviously I'm, I've expressed plenty of gratitude to my parents, um, but like, you know, I'm super grateful that my school was a school that had this computer lab that I could go into. And, you know, there wasn't some overbearing adult <laughs> stopping me from burning Linux live CDs and installing it on these machines. And there weren't like, administrative permissions that would have stopped me from doing any of this either. Uh, so I was able to like get all this, this stuff to work. Uh, and the other thing that I'm super glad when I look back on is like the world of open source software, which if you're not in the software world, open source software is like um, free software. There's people who contribute code to the rest of the world for free, um, no expectation of payment. And it's just like we, the internet is largely built on top of free software you know it's it's almost like a, a whole movement right of just hackers out there building free software contributing it back to the world and so much of the technology we all rely upon today uh is like a direct result to some of the like innovation and pioneering work of open source software developers out there and i remember as a kid when i'm going through all this and trying to figure out how to make all this work whether it was like young me thinking it was cool to write viruses or uh punished and restricted me trying to figure out how to run how to make my computer useful without a hard drive, you know, running across people on the internet who were willing to like help and contribute time and, you know, give me the, this like curious guy, uh, their time, you know, and, and teach me, uh, the things I didn't know and, and help answer questions that were probably dumb questions. And I could have just like read the manual or something, but you know, they were really nice. I remember there specifically meeting a lot of really nice people in like the FreeBSD community. Um, FreeBSD is like Linux is one thing. And then, you know, back then, especially like it was, it was rougher, but it was still like, so like, especially Ubuntu, right? Like it's like pretty fairly easy comparably. Um, free BSD on the other hand was like doing you no favors. Um, at, at least not if you were like, you know, a 13 year old kid in high school.
So the FreeBSD people on like the FreeBSD forums were super nice. There were people in IRC chats. And for those who don't know what IRC is, IRC is like, uh, think Slack or Discord before Slack or Discord. And without a user interface, it's all text-based chat um, without, you know, any prettiness. You have to like figure, you know, or at least I use like a command line client. Um, but, you know, that <laughs> you'd, meet, you'd meet people who'd like walk you through this stuff, who were willing to give you their time and teach you. And between like learning how to program in C++ and learning how to make uh, my computer run without a hard drive and all these different things. It's just, I don't know. I'm super grateful that not only are these people out there contributing code to the world to make, um, make the world better for us all to enrich our, our lives with this technology and with this software that they basically just give away for free. But they're also the kind of people who will sit down with young people like I once was and will teach them and, and help them understand stuff. And so, you know, there's something about just the being able to, unabashedly explore my computer my curiosity with computers and also get help and assistance from the adults in my life other than i guess like my parents taking my hard drive but up to that point they were very supportive and even along the way like they were still supportive of me learning this stuff it was just you know the punishment thing with with without the hard drive was just a little painful so I, you know that's just i don't know that's fascinating to me and then then from there you know i ended up going to college and, you know, I joined the military, I went to college, I went to a military school and that was kind of like, I'd say where my, um, my being a hacker, that like inner curiosity went from being like, you know, kind of just like this, I'm a kid as an amateur, just like doing stuff that's fun to, uh, I don't know, getting, got, going on steroids, right? Because I met other people like me, right? Other people my age, um, other students who, um, were also hackers, um, and some of them like way better than me, right? Um, and then also like I got to start studying computer science and math. So I got to get deeper into the ideas behind a lot of this, which, you know, I had to think a lot of the pragmatic, like rough and dirty, how to get shit done. And then you add in like the, the theory behind it and like the actual kind of like book smarts of it. And that just like, again, it's like you put it, get on steroids. Um, so yeah, I like, I, I met other hackers. Um, I, we, our school had a hacking team where we basically, um, you can, a lot of colleges these days have like what they call a capture the flag team where basically undergraduates can uh, participate in hacking challenges. Right. And so there's different categories and then you can kind of like, you know, if you're, when you start out, you're just, everything's new. You're learning how to do all this. So you're learning the tools, you're learning the concepts, and then you like compete in this competition where you learn how to hack, but it's all, it all derives from this like innate curiosity. Cause frankly, like hacking is kind of boring. Um, they kind of glamorize it in, in movies and TV sometimes. And, you know, it's not super realistic, but you know, I mean, even in like ghost in the shell, one of my, like my favorite anime, right. Which is about hackers. All the hacking in that is like very like fanciful and like visual and graphical, uh, in reality. Um, if you're like manually, you know, taking something apart, you're reverse engineering something, which is the process of like, you know, imagine putting together a piece of furniture. Reverse engineering is like taking a piece of furniture that's already put together and then taking it apart to figure out how it's built figure out what it's made of in a lot of ways. I think hackers are similar to like mechanics in that in the same way that a mechanic like goes under the hood and understands all of the like systems of a, of a vehicle and how to tweak them and tune them and, and, and maximize the performance of a vehicle. Uh, hackers does the same thing with software and hardware, right? Like you're getting under the hood and you're, you're learning how to pull things apart. And that's what reverse engineering kind of is. It's understanding at a really deep, like architectural level, how everything works, how it all fits together. And, and importantly, how it breaks how you can manipulate it and use it to your advantage. So, um, but it's boring. Like it's, you know, frankly, it's, it's a lot of like, you know, you're taking 
the computer code I mentioned before, like software uh, source code is human readable. It's like reading a book. So you as a, as a human source code is like designed for you to be able to read it. Computer code, once it's been compiled down into something your computer can understand, is not human readable. And if you want to go the other way, it's like, you know, there's decompilers out there, but those are expensive generally and, and historically have been pretty bad. I'm, pr- I'm sure they're not bad now. I haven't done, I haven't really done any like uh, binary reverse engineering in a bit, but um, like you, it's staring at, <laughs> you know, screens of hex and, and these like binary blobs for hours and hours trying to like, you know, fucking seance out <laughs> the meaning of it and, and finding holes, finding, understanding how it works, understanding what the assumptions it made were and how those assumptions might be valid, violated by reality um, and find how to, how to tweak it. So, you know, people think about like, oh, hacking is cool. Like, and you know, I've had people ask, oh, you're a hacker. Can you like help me hack my best friend's Facebook account? You know, and like, I guess you could call that hacking. Like there's certainly some elements of that in there. There's certainly elements of, you know, finding somewhere where an assumption was made that doesn't like meet reality. And then you can use that to your advantage. But a lot of it's like not sexy. It's very boring. It's, it's looking at network traffic. It's looking at, you know, binary blobs. It's reading through logs. It's trial and error. There's a lot of like really frustrating, this should work, but oh my God, it doesn't work. Or really frustrating, this works and I have no idea with as why this works. It totally shouldn't work. That if you're someone like me, if you have that like hacker mindset and, and you have it for software, you have it for technology, it's super exciting. It's thrilling. And you love meeting other people like that. And I think that's why these people I met online and, and who helped me in my own journey, you know, why they're willing to help someone coming along. Cause we all resonate with like that fundamental curiosity of like, ah, yes, you're, you're, you're pushing through the pain and, and the frustration that an impatient and, um, uh, more sane individual would not want to push through. Uh, so I want to help you, you know, and I'm not going to give you the answer. Importantly, like I'm not giving you the answer to the questions on the test. I'm just going to give you enough that you're like not fully stuck. And I'm going to equip you with the tools to figure this out on your own. Um, there's something about that in like the hacker community and, and the, you know, I'd say even more broadly in like the open source software community of people giving code to the world for free. It's just very beautiful. It's very egalitarian. It's very like, um, you know, it's very, you know, almost utopian. And that kind of is, is, you know, how I got to where I am, you know? Um, so yeah, college was great. I, I met smart people. I, I, you know, I got on, I'd say I, my, my hacker abilities were put on steroids. And then, um, also during that time I got like, I'm, I'm a huge lover of the Android open Android open source, uh, project, which is like every, everyone's familiar with Android. Um, and I think a lot of people are familiar with like Samsung phones or like some big manufacturers, um, manifestation of Android, but the core of Android, the base of it is, is this open source project that now belongs to Google. It started before that, but Google ended up acquiring it and Google kind of stewards the Android open source project. I got into that, um, in college. Uh, I, I have been a huge fan of Sonia's Xperia line of phones. I think they're the best smartphones, um, in existence. I've owned damn near every, um, model of like the Xperia, at least like the main line of phones. They have a ton of different Xperia branded phones, but like not, not every like side, brand of them but definitely like the main brand like i had an xperia z and a z1 and a z2 and a z ultra and you know all the way up to like my most recent uh, before i bought so i i'm 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 a heretic i'm using an iphone now but um and that started in may of this year but before i had this iphone uh i you know i was running a sony xperia one mark three you know and so I've, i've just been like on the sony xperia train forever and a big part of that is sony 
as a manufacturer is was the first big manufacturer of Android phones to like open source a lot of the work they were doing. So like if you use if you're an Android user and you're using, you know, Sam, a Samsung phone, Samsung's already built like they have like their own layer on top of Android that they build to kind of deliver like a unique and differentiated experience for you. And all the big, you know, phone manufacturers really that's just how the Android manufacturers sort of compete with one another. And Sony and, and notoriously, especially back then, if you wanted control over your device, um, you know, this is in the day, the, the days were in the US, you weren't, you, you know, it was hard to come by an unlocked phone, you know, and your carriers didn't want to unlock your phones for you, which meant your bootloader was locked, which meant, you know, essentially, if you wanted control over your device, you had to go to some shady forum like XDA developers. And, and XDA is not shady, by the way. I love XDA developers. I spent a lot of time there. But like the, you, you had to like download some shady person's code to exploit your phone and hope that, you know, they weren't backdooring you or something just so that you could like, I don't know, install apps that you wanted or remove bloatware apps, remove carrier installed apps. Um, what I love about the Sony line of phones is a, they're just the best. They're literally just the best. Every, I don't care what anyone says. They're the best phones period. Um, why are you using an iPhone then? <laughs> I'll, I'll answer that at some point, but um, but yeah, Sony, Sony has, I think some of the best phones and, and importantly, they were huge contributors to like the Android open source project, or at least they, they open source their tooling, their build tools, their build system. They made great documentation for how to build it for their phones. They gave you the drivers you needed. They gave you like all the software and everything you needed to like build it yourself on their devices and not like in a, a neutered way. Like if you wanted to build like a customized version of Android for your Sony Xperia handset that ran at essentially like production quality. They gave you everything you needed to build that. And they were the only manufacturer to do that at first. I think like HTC sort of ditched their, dipped their toes in those waters, but like uh, Sony was really like leaning forward on that around that time. So I was huge into like the Android open source project. Um, I still am. I'm not, I don't have as much, I don't allocate as much time towards it as I, I used to um, just because back then I had more time to, well, I, I'd have the same amount of time technically, but um, I was more willing to allocate huge clumps of it to figuring out the Android open source project. Now it doesn't take me as much time because I just, I know the code base a little bit well enough. So like I can, I can mess around and tweak it here and there. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it, it's super awesome to see like, you know, a company, a big company like Sony with this phone line that essentially is losing the money and always has lost the money. And they keep pumping out, pumping out these great phenomenal phones with great phenomenal cameras. And they give you everything you need to like build Android on your own. So that was like, you know, a big part of my journey has always been like, I'm curious. I want to dig into stuff. I want to know how everything works. Um, if you want to understand things I'm paranoid or anxious about, uh, I think we all have things that give us anxiety. You know, we, we, um, anxiety is kind of like what you feel in a learning process when you're in a state of uncertainty and you're not quite sure what's going on. And, and that, lack of certainty is kind of, you know, sort of what I see as the, the basis of anxiety. And if you want to know what makes me anxious, it's like, there's all this software now all around us and like, who knows who wrote it and who knows what it does. And there's probably bugs in it like that as a hacker. That's like, I have like a hacker's paranoia or like a reverse engineer's paranoia of like, there's bugs in everything. All software has bugs. Anything moderately complex has bugs. And somewhere out there is a hacker exploiting it to their benefit or, you know, to your detriment. That's not actually true, but there's like a, probably significantly bigger portion of me than in most people that it feels that way about software. Um, and of course, you know, part of it is probably because after college, uh, I had the uh, pleasure of being a, a government hacker in the U S military. And so that was kind of like, if going from middle school, high school hacker, me to uh, college hacker, me was like getting on steroids, then 
uh, working for the government as a hacker was like going to the moon. I mean, it was, it, it was a whole new level of, of, of just doing stuff and learning stuff. And, you know, it's all the fundamental, all the concepts are fundamentally the same, you know, no matter where you are in the world, if you're hackers, a hacker, um, but you know, there's something about having, I guess, like the, the free reign and the resources of, of the organizations like the military to just really understand that. And, and in the U S um, like the U S military has been a lot behind a lot of really awesome technology projects. Like you have the, you have DARPA and its predecessor, ARPA, which is essentially where the internet came from. Um, and there's been the, you know, the military has put a lot of research into security and into, you know, the, the good stuff, the hacking that's out there. Um, and, and a lot of it, they've actually just kind of like given away to the world and, and, you know, open source, so to speak. So there's a lot it hasn't too. So it's not perfect, but who is, who is perfect? You know? So I just, I don't know. I, I wanted to share, um, just my own journey into technology and, and really give you all the lens of how I see it. And then like the hacker manifesto captures it. So world, right? Like it is a door to a new world. And I mentioned in the last episode that, um, when it comes to time, I think technology is this like this awesome cheat code. It's this tool that allows us to um, use time more efficiently or to enrich time more deeply without any extra effort or energy. And and that's just so awesome, you know. Um, it's awesome. And in the world we live in today, that's like you know, there's all this great software around us, built and given away for free by awesome people. Like that's what I'm grateful for. Like in the United States this week, it's Thanksgiving, um, the the fucking gratitude holiday. And I'm this, this particular instance of it, I'm feeling real grateful for technology. I'm feeling real grateful for the, grateful for the pioneers and the technologists who came before me, who contributed, who built stuff, who gave back to the world. And, you know, I hope to be able to, um, I hope to be able to replicate that in, in my own technology dealings. And, you know, with this podcast, as we go forward, um, you know, the first two episodes were really just kind of establishing like a philosophical baseline, I guess, for how I think about things just to make it easier. Um, for you all to step into my shoes and, and see some of the fire that I see, right? Because I'm looking at you, I'm looking at all of us, and I'm, I'm having this appreciation for um, our curiosity, you know, and our, our creativity. And, but I, you know, in order for me to share that perspective with you, I kind of wanted to use the first three episodes to like paint a picture that you could use to like put on my eyes as almost. Um, and a lot of what I'm seeing is, is surrounding technology, right? Like it's not just computer technology, it's not just software, but it's, it's the ways in which all of us find creative and um, awesome ways of enriching our experience together and giving that away, sharing it with each other and, and expressing gratitude with one another for those things. Like that's, you know, what this is all about. And so for like from this point forward and, and throughout the podcast, like the expressions of gratitude I tend to have, the things I focus on are, are largely, you know, going back to that triad. It's going to be stuff in the technology world. It's going to be stuff in the music world. It's going to be stuff that helps people to gain knowledge and improve uh, what they're able to understand and, and know about the world and how they can put that knowledge into practice. Um, and, you know, it, I, I don't know, maybe it's helpful for you all to understand, like, where am I coming from? Why am I the technologist that I am? Why do I call myself a hacker? Why do I, why do I take up that term when uh, some people think of hackers as criminals? Um, some people think of hackers as terrorists. Uh, I remember when I was in, in college, I had... Um, you know, we did as a military school. And so over the summer, you had this like summer training program. Um, and, you know, we did our introductions with our, our trainees, essentially. And I remember telling mine that, you know, I was a hacker and one of them was like, oh, but hackers are terrorists, you know? So some people think hackers are terrorists. You know, hacker has like this dark, evil connotation in some forms of media where it's like, oh, the evil hacker is going to like hack the bank and steal our money or the evil hacker is going to like, you know, set off the nuclear warheads. 
Uh, and I, I don't know, I guess like that's, I'm sure that stuff's possible, <laughs> right? Um, but the cool thing about being a hacker though is, and the energy behind it is really just like this limitless curiosity. When you understand the role that computers play in the world, the role that technology plays in the world, you, you start to have this like anything is possible mentality. And if you're curious and you're the kind of person to like tinker and, and, and like dig in and, and figure stuff out, it's, you know, computers represent this like endless opportunity for that. Um, and for me, that's like, that's what I mean when I mean hacker. I mean, someone who chases that curiosity and, and pokes and tinkers and pulls apart to understand. It's all about deepening and, and understanding. And um, the true great, I guess, hackers are the ones that then take that understanding and like wield it like, you know, magic wand and, and build cool stuff and contribute it back into the world. Um, so thank you to the hackers out there. Thank you to the hackers out there. Thank you to the, if, you, if you're a parent and you're helping your kids get smart on technology, on science, in math. I love that. I mean, I, I, I love it. You know, I'm, a, I'm also an artist as a musician and as a lover of music, and I come from a family of musicians. So don't get me wrong. Like, my love for technology and science and math is not at all a knock on, you know, the arts. If anything, I say they have to go hand in hand. Like, to me, programming is art. If there's a science to it, and knowing the science definitely helps you to be better at it. But it's art. Really well-made code is art. You know, when, you, when I look at, like, a really good developer describe something they made and I look at their code, you can feel it. You know, there's an artistic quality to it. Similar to, like, when I listen to, you know, some musician's rendition of, like, a famous song or, or hear a singer, you know, sing a great song from the heart. There's, like, a similar thing there. And, and that's, I don't know, I'm grateful for that creativity and how it manifests itself in hackers and in the community of software developers and, and, and engineers out there. Um, and I love that... There are people out there who were able to help me learn and grow as a, as a hacker. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to pass that forward to other people. You know, when I was in college, I remember meeting people who were in high school and, you know, again, online and random IRC chats and, and helping them in the way that people helped me when I was at a similar stage. And I don't know, there's something beautiful about that. Um, there's something beautiful about that being a thing and about that being, you know, part of like the, the revolution we're all in, uh, the information revolution, the information age where the whole world and all of the structural inefficiencies and the ways that um, we sort of inherited structures and systems from the industrial age uh, is, is sort of disrupting all those things. It's sort of flipping some of those things on their head. And it's not because it's, those things are bad. It's not because there's like this grand war between the information age and the industrial age. It's just anytime you have the ability to uh, increase the percentage of time people can make available to themselves for luxury or you can deepen the enrichment they have with their time. And, and technology is like the strongest thing that we as humans have. And I don't just mean like computer technology. I mean, in any era, what technology gives us, you know, the new inventions we come up with are the ways that we find, we, we free up time to enjoy luxury and indulge and we free up time to be enriched and, and given a, like a deeper quality to it. Uh, that's, that's what makes technology beautiful to me. Um, I've said it before. If you think about the fact that you know, we have these massive nuclear arsenals around the world that can destroy the world many times over. It's a terrifying, terrifying thought. Um, I like to like flip that around and, and, and I hope you um, start to see this throughout the podcast. Like the things that we want to be focusing on, we want to take that like terror energy and, and the, the, what that set of facts might lead us to believe about ourselves and the world and flip it around and say, well, that, I think that means we also have the potential with technology, with science, with collaboration to also save the world many times over. So I'm pretty, uh, pretty positive and optimistic about our possibility as humanity to be able to use technology, to use our collaboration and to use our creativity to, to make the world a better place. And I can tell you as someone who was on the offensive side as a hacker in the military, 
and now is on the defensive side, helping companies and organizations to secure themselves from, from like digital threats. Like the, there's just something beautiful about when we all come together from like the, the breaker side to the builder side to build something strong and resilient that lasts. Like I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to all the other hackers out there and, and I'm grateful to you, dear listener for uh, coming along on this journey with me. So that's this episode. Um, this is, this is, this is nicer. This is, this is much more, uh, not sporadic. Um, again, there were a shit ton of things I tried to cram into iteration one of this episode. I don't want to hit all those things, but I'm going to do them as separate episodes because they all really warrant their own individual treatment. So this is just like, now you understand my, my technical journey, how I got to where I am, why I consider myself a technologist, what I mean when I say I'm a hacker and, and why I feel immense positivity and gratitude around technology and technologists. So thanks. Thanks for coming along. Uh, if you want to catch the podcast, you can go to justhere.club to find links to all the various podcast platforms where you can follow. Um, you can leave a review and tell me whether or not you like it or you hate it. If you want to tweet at me, you can find my Twitter at just here club, which is the podcast's Twitter. And then there's also my personal Twitter account, which is at the laughing man on Twitter. Um, the laughing man is, you know, it's the pseudonym I use for everything. It's the, my DJing this, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. So you can kind of find the collection of my content through sort of the Twitter there. And I use the laughing man or just laughing man with, with three F's um on any social platform so if you want to tweet at me or message me or you know tell me i'm awful or tell me i'm great or express gratitude for something you think is really cool please feel free to hit me up there please feel free to hit me up on the website or on the twitter um and thank you all i hope you have yourselves a wonderful wonderful week i hope you all enjoy uh for my my friends who celebrate uh thanksgiving in the u.s i hope you enjoy that and for all of my spanish listeners out there because I, i've been you know i've been looking at my analytics turns out there's you know again there's not a lot I, the vast majority of my listeners in the united states but there are some in like argentina and spain so uh gracias uh uh ustedes para escucharme y espero que disfruten este episodio um, I'll catch y'all in the next one and have a good one.